All right, we need, to, uh, we need to do our dry ritual. We need to do exhortations and declarations. Uh, we need to do faith ministry. We're going to gather each other into the spirit of, of, uh, of faith this morning. So I want you to look at the person next to you and just stare really hard until they have a lot of faith. All right, that's not working at all. That's not working at all. So let's do it. Let's do it with uh, let's do it with body posture. Uh, everybody, everybody, stand up. All right, let's do uh, let's do Wonder Woman pose. Famous study at Harvard shows that body language changes attitude. All right, let's do Superman pose. Okay, I'm feeling that one a little more. Are you feeling that one a little more? Who, look to your left and your right. Who does this really well? Who's, who's doing it really well? Erica is doing it really well. Who else is doing it really well? No one? All right, now turn and face someone and have a pose off. I expect Caleb to win this, by the way. All right, all right, all right. Good job, sit down. And that's the end of our dry liturgy for today. Ministered faith to each other. Let's do a warm-up question, though. Keep the blood flowing. Did anybody follow through? Last week, we talked uh, across the two services approximately 16 ideas, creative ideas, clever ideas to go out and minister to the kingdom to someone. Like, if you had 100 bucks, what would you do? Did anybody do one? You didn't get the money from me. Well, it was a theoretical proposition. I'm just wondering if anybody up, up, up and did it. No one? Except for uh, Ted Kim over here, who, uh, who, who got carried away and accidentally produced a movie. The first feature film ever in uh, the Hawaiian language, by the way. And Kwok undersold it. They won best film in Boston and best ensemble and best writer and director and they just won the, the Native uh, American Award at the San Diego Film Festival because it represents uh, indigenous justice incredibly well. Anyway, you want, you want to get in on that. All right, other than Ted. All right, that was the first warm-up question. Nobody followed through uh, because it wasn't assigned and it wasn't empowered by me. I did not give you $100 cash, right? And since it wasn't assigned homework, Nobody does it. I understand completely. So warm-up question number two. If there's something that you believe you should do in life, there's something that you believe you should do, but no one and nothing is forcing you to do it, how do you get to try it? How do you get around to trying it? If there's something in life that you believe you should do, but... I'm not forcing you to do it. I'm not assigning homework. Nobody is paying you to do it. How do you get around to trying it? That's your warm-up question. I will give you eight seconds to be brilliant. Go. Just start moving. Good. Talk to Jordan, and then he will force you to do it <laughs> through shame and manipulation. I like that. I like that. I like that. Uh, let's generalize it. Uh, tell a friend. 
and then they will help hold you accountable to do it. Maybe that's a better way to say it. What else? Ask somebody to do it with you. Yes, this is what I call getting a tribe of try, right? Tribe of try. Any of you run the marathon? Any of you run the marathon after joining a training group? That's right. That's why. It's easier that way. Okay, I'll accept that. Any more brilliant answers? Just do it. Just do it, says Mr. Nike. Yes. <laughs> backwards planning. Back, well, I don't know what backwards planning is. Start with what you want to do and then figure out the steps to get there and then take the next one, presumably. Backwards planning. I didn't know that phrase. That's a good phrase. Yeah, good phrase. <laughs> but I think that's the key. In fact, I think that's the key. Well, I think it's the key to life. I think the most important word in life is the word try. My favorite word in the English language is dad. But my, the most important word is, is try, I think. Um, which is why I say, what gets you to try it? If you believe in something important, what gets you to try it? I say try instead of do, because I think that trying is the most important part of doing, right? For instance, if you want to dance, you know, maybe, maybe you can't dance out of the box. First, you have to try to dance, right? If you want to sing a song, well, first you have to try to sing the song. If you want to love somebody, first you're going to have to try to love somebody, if you want to, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, first you have to try it, right? So trying is the most important part of doing, because if the try part doesn't happen, then none of the rest of it does. Try is that first little part of doing, the initiation, the thing that moves you across the gap between inaction and action, trying. And then the other thing we say at Blue Water is... Faith is trying. Thank you. You were all going to flunk if somebody did not say that. Faith is trying uh, because, you know, faith isn't what you believe. It's what you do with what you believe. You know, the devil believes all the same stuff we do. He just does not relate to it very well. He knows there's a God. Um, so it's what you do with what you believe. It's what you do with the truth that you hold on to. Um, and all the faith in life is in the trying. Faith is not in the succeeding, right? You don't have to succeed at something in order to have had faith. You just need to try something in order to have faith. So try is the thing that releases faith, or faith leads to trying, right? They are inseparable in life. So we say, you know, trying is where the faith is. Faith is trying. If I were to give you a compliment, the highest compliment I could give you is, you're a great trier. Like, like in my book, that, that's it. It's like, Good try means a lot in my heart. And what we're trying to do is to equip triers. I've been meditating a lot on this verse from Ephesians 5. And um, let's just read it together. A couple of verses. This is Paul's letter to Ephesus. It's just chock full of really practical advice. It kind of starts out with understand who you are in the Lord and understand what your calling is. And then the rest of the book is tips for following through on your calling, pretty much. That's the book of Ephesians. And uh, chapter 5, uh, 15 and 16, he kind of pauses, he inserts this statement into his essay, and he says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful about this. Think very seriously about this in your life, colon. 
Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I love that. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Start at the end. What does it mean the days are evil? It means that the days are not neutral, right? If you do nothing today, you do not end the day at the same place you started. If you do nothing today, evil has taken territory around you. <clears throat> I have said often before that our life on this planet and following Jesus is to bring the order of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, against the chaos of the world, right? Now, the order of heaven flows into the world through you, only through you, because you are the ministers of the order of heaven on earth. So if you try to bring the order of heaven, it happens. If you procrastinate today, the order of heaven does not flow around you. That's your choice, right? Whether to try or to not try. On the other side is the chaos of the world. Chaos never procrastinates. The law of the universe. It's the second law of thermodynamics. The universe tends toward entropy. There is never neutral. There is never stationary in this universe. It's always tending toward chaos and heartbreak and suffering and decay. And that never procrastinates. Every day that marches forward unless, unless you stand up against it. Unless you stand up against it. Chaos never procrastinates. That's what it means by the days are evil. So our job is to make the most of every opportunity to activate the good things that you believe that you should do. And the key to life is to activate. The key to life is to initiate. The key to life is to launch. The key to life is to follow through. That's the whole key to life. Or the key to life is trying. It's being a great trier. And that's the life of faith. If you want to perform miracles with God... First, you have to try to perform the miracles. If you want to gather people into the kingdom, well, first you have to make the phone call, send the email, knock on the door, make the invitation, strike up the conversation, right? You have to try. And that's the key to everything. It is not any grander than that. It is never grander than trying. Faith is trying. Follow me so far? Everybody clap once. There was a little chaos in that clap. After all that bluegrass, you still don't have rhythm. One, two, three. Yeah, okay. Here's what I'm going to do today. It's going to be very, very, uh, very quick. I've been, I've been writing on this lately. I'm going to go through the 10 ways of chaos, the 10 ways that chaos kicks your butt every day. And then I'm going to talk about 10 ways of try, uh, the 10 habits of try that, that uh, we need to work on in order to try every day to never procrastinate, to never fail to follow through. Wouldn't that be heroic? Yeah. Wouldn't that be heroic? Yeah. Yeah. If you were the army of Israel, and against you was arrayed the army of the Philistines, and their giant, Goliath, was walking out to defy you, they just sat there and stared at each other for 40 days <laughs> until some punk named David grabbed a handful of stones and decided to try, you know. That's how heroes are made, right? You try in the face of stalemate. So this is what tries to stalemate you in life, all right? Ready? Here we go. Ten ways of chaos. I want to put them up on the board. 
Ooh, are we going to do this one by one? Chaos, chaos is vague. The way chaos stifles you is you believe that you should do something, but you don't quite know how to get started. And you get stuck right there in that not knowing. Chaos keeps it vague. How are you going to do that? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. If that goes on for a long time, chaos has you by the throat. Chaos has you by the throat. Chaos is vague. Do you know what your calling is in life? Do you know who you're going to invite to the movie? Uh, do you know what your ministry objectives are this week? Do you know what you're trying to accomplish in your children? Do you know what you're trying to bless your spouse with? Do you know? Do you have some idea? Or have you left it sort of like, well, I value this. Values never accomplished anything until they take shape. Chaos is vague. Number two, chaos delays. When you have a good idea in your head, chaos never comes to you and says, don't do it. <laughs> chaos only comes to you and says, do it tomorrow. Do it later. The goal of chaos is just to get you to procrastinate another hour. That's all. Check, just, I think you should check your email. I think you should check your social media one more time. Right? And then chaos creeps in. Chaos never says quit. Because if chaos said quit, you'd have to make a firm decision, wouldn't you? Right? You'd have to be hot or cold. Chaos wants you to be lukewarm. So it just tells you to wait a while. Just wait. Just wait for a better time. That's chaos. Number three, and this is probably what we think of in terms of chaos, chaos distracts. Chaos distracts. That's all. You know, any the distractions in life? One is probably in your hip pocket right now. It's everything that's waiting for you on your phone. Chaos distracts. There's so many ways that you could go. There's one way to move forward and an infinite number of ways to get distracted in life. Number four, chaos drives, thrives in fear. What if it doesn't work? <laughs> chaos. Chaos, right? There's so many things in life to be afraid of. Fear of failure, fear of looking bad, fear of death, fear of pain, fear of suffering, you know. Uh, and chaos thrives in fear. The first thing chaos tried to teach you when you were a little kid is to be afraid of something. And some of us have never broken the habit. Number five, chaos never quite has enough, right? Scarcity is the law of the world. It's like a theology, you know, the world is scarce, the world is scarce. And so, you know that parable of the towers, the half-built tower, right? Do you know the parable? No. If you're going to build a tower, Jesus says, um, don't be like the king who builds it halfway and then doesn't have enough money to finish it. That's essentially the parable. And he ends the parable by saying, um, Essentially, the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. And so when chaos reads the parable, it says, this parable is about having enough money to do what you want. So make sure you have enough money beforehand. But when faith reads the parable, it says, this is a parable about going all out. 
which is why Jesus ends it by saying the kingdom of heaven requires everything from you. It's about all-out attitude. It's not about scarcity attitude. We'll do that parable sometime in service. It's really interesting. Number six, chaos is almost ready. This is really interesting. Uh, Did you do that thing? I'm about to. Jeremiah, did you take out the garbage? I'm going to do it. I don't even need to ask him. He's a good kid. Um, there's a way in which you can make delay sound like readiness. I'm right on the verge of doing this thing. I'm right on the verge of following through on it, and we spend our life on the verge. Chaos never says, oh, you're not ready for that. Chaos only says, well, you're almost there. And then you spend a decade being almost there. How many of you have had something you've wanted to do for like 15 years and you haven't followed through on it? Chaos has you. You're almost ready. You're almost ready. Don't fall for that trick. Chaos really respects emotions. Really respects emotions. Um, Emotions are incredibly powerful. They give us staying power. They give us, uh, you know, courage. Uh, They they give us passion in life. Emotions are super wonderful and super powerful unless they're in charge and then they're pure chaos. Because every emotion is a would-be dictator. Every one. Joy, sadness, fear, of course. And so they have to be tempered with maturity and faith and principle and values. That's where that stuff comes in. Uh, Chaos really respects emotions. If you're the kind of person who says, I was going to do that today, but I didn't really feel like it, chaos has you by the throat. Chaos has you. Chaos recruits the people around you. You're about to do something important, and suddenly everybody around you freaks out. Maybe they're freaking out because your lack of insecurity has highlighted their insecurity. That happens. Or maybe, you know, they're just people. People are filled with static and crises, and if you're prioritizing something that's important to you, maybe the insecure people around you say, wait, don't do that. Prove to me that you love me most first. Prove to me that I'm more important than that. You know, we have these conversations. Some of those are important conversations. A lot of those are chaotic conversations. All to say, you can gather around you tribes of chaos, or you can gather around you tribes of try. And we're trying to be a tribe of try at Blue Water. Number nine, chaos is a perfectionist. Anything worth doing is worth doing right and worth doing well. No. Anything worth doing is worth doing. If you have to wait around to do it well, you're not going to do it, and you're not going to get better at it. Right? Anything worth doing is worth doing. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. So chaos is a perfectionist, and you know sometimes it's the most talented people who are the most perfectionist and therefore the most stuck in life. Even though a really, really talented person that just never progresses in their field of expertise, perfectionism. And number 10, chaos thinks a lot about identity. Uh, Boy, you could write essays on this because identity is a really big thing today. I suppose there's a healthy way to think about it, but there's a really unhealthy way to think about identity. Chaos loves identity. If you over-identify with an activity or if you identify wrongly, with an act, 
with an activity. For instance, identifying wrongly would be, I'm not sure I can do this because I'm not that kind of person. Who cares what kind of person you are? If it's a good thing to do, why don't you do it? Right? So chaos gets you that way. Or, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say you're a musician and that's part of your ministry. But you're afraid to play in public because, I don't know, you might make a mistake or like, oh gosh, I don't really play bluegrass. You know, I like, if, like, what does that say about who I am as a musician? Don't care who you are as a musician, right? If it's a good thing to do, you do it. So we think about our identity a lot. Who am I is one of those ancient questions of philosophy. And every generation puts their own layer on it, you know. Sometimes it's philosophical, sometimes it's social, sometimes it's political. But what is right and important is right and important. Just get on with it. All right, so that's 10 ways of chaos. Could say a lot more about all of those things. Now we're going to move to 10 ways of try. Ready? Just yep. so shake the chaos off your shoulders. Number one, try is always in the midst. If you're going to try to do something that you believe you should do, you will always have to do it in the midst of other stuff in life. So there will never be time and space to do it. You just have to do it. The biblical story I think of most in this regard is when Nehemiah and the returning exiles come back to Jerusalem in, when was that, like 6th century BC, and, uh, uh, and rebuilt Jerusalem, but all the enemy tribes were trying to oppress them, distract them from the work, and so Nehemiah organized the people, the workers, to build the wall with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. <laughs> Right? If, they had, if they had tried to create peace in the land before building the wall, they would have never made it. Um, so I like to say that everyone has to live life with both hands. Um, you have to do whatever it is you have to do in life. You, know, you have to make lunch for the kids. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to do the laundry. You've got to follow up. You've got to call your mom. You've know, you got to do all of that stuff. And then you also have to do the stuff that you believe you should do. Every day, try is in the midst of other stuff. Number two, one of my favorites, try drips with attitude. Because life is a contact sport. Life is a battleground, right? And any performance athlete will tell you that before you perform, you have to kind of get psyched into it. A little swagger helps. So we did some poses beforehand. You know, Kat, show them the Wonder Woman pose. Well, there was attitude. I, I will always say that. There was definitely some attitude there. Or the Superman pose. The reason they draw superheroes in, in poses like that, I mean, like, you know, everybody, think of the Spider-Man pose, right? You all have it in your head, uh, if you know who Spider-Man is. Um, because poses communicate so much, right? You know what an attitude is? An attitude is your angle of approach to something. When a pilot talks about the attitude of a plane, it has to do with the angle that the plane is flying in or the angle of approach to the runway or something like that. So your attitude is your approach to life. How are you going to approach something? Are you going to approach it tentatively or are you going to approach it filled with faith and with attitude, sort of dripping with attitude? And if you're going to 
be a trier in life, if you're going to be a great trier, if you're going to be a great follow-through-er, then you're just going to have to get some attitude around it. Oh, today is so busy. I, I don't know if you can get to that phone call. Want to bet? All right, there you go. So I mean, a little bit of attitude, which is the only way I get around to doing anything. Uh, and attitude, of course, is a choice. You know, uh, put yourself in the right posture. And then, then your brain and your spirit will follow a, l a little bit. Try drips with attitude. You can always tell a great trier. They don't blink. <laughs> you know, I think of the caricatures of the gunfighters in those Western movies, right? And those guys, like, when you saw their attitude, you knew who was going to win the gunfight. Did you not? <laughs> right? Or if you're into samurai movies, same thing. You know, you can tell. Whoever has the best attitude. Uh, is going to win. Anyway, that's life. Number three, try is forceful. And this has a little bit to do with all the chaos in the world and, you know, and being in the midst of other stuff. Don't be surprised if that thing you think you should do requires a tremendous amount of effort from you. And I think what happens is that people get shocked. Oh, this is what God is calling me to do in life. But, you know, it's never really happening smoothly. Was Gethsemane a smooth evening for Jesus? You know, Paul said, I will beat my body into submission. God said to him, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. Now that's a great life call. But, you know, and maybe God is not saying that to you. Don't misunderstand me. But it is supposed to be hard. And people have this incredible reaction. It's like, oh, but that was hard. Yes. You know, don't be shocked out of the game just because somebody punches you in the face. I, I used to do a lot of martial arts, and, and when somebody would join the dojo, you know, maybe they go through a lesson, and then, and then we'd teach them their first lesson, is that we'd put them in a sparring ring, and one of the upper belts, a brown belt or a black belt, would punch them. And then we'd sit back and just wait for 10 seconds to see how they reacted. And most people would choose to continue with training or to leave the dojo at that moment because a lot of people just can't get over the feeling of the shock, right? And sometimes I would try to reclaim them and say, you do realize that the idea of learning self-defense is to avoid that, <laughs> right? But, it, but if you're so shocked by it that you cannot continue, you'll never learn anything. Yeah, life is kind of like that as well. Try is forceful. Number four, try knows how to fail. Do you know how to fail? Oh, yeah. Do you know how? Miserable. Yeah. You're really good at it? I say this a lot, that one of the first lessons Jesus taught his disciples was how to fail. He sent them out without him for the first time, like, like in Mark 6, or excuse me, Matthew 10, and uh, like Luke 9, 10. Um, and he says, well, go to a village, preach the kingdom of heaven is near, do a bunch of miracles, find somebody to stay with, and, uh, and try to plant a little house church there. That was the strategy. And then he said, if they do not receive you, if they reject you, leave the town and shake the dust off your feet as you exit, which is like saying, slam the door behind you. You know, it's actually a little more vulgar than that. It's like saying, you are dirty so-and-sos. So Jesus taught them how to fail with attitude. You know, say, well, that didn't work. Forget it. You know, it's like, well, that's on you. I'm off to the next place, which feels a little bit arrogant, but you need attitude to fail well. 
You need to know how to do it, as opposed to, you know, you start to fail and you panic and then you try to hide it from your friends so that they don't think ill of you. No, man, if you're going to fail, fail grandly. Martin Luther said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's grace, right? I mean, failure is not the problem in life. Failure is not the problem. The problem is failure to try, right? If you, if you try and fail, no big deal. But if you fail to try, big deal. And that I summarized 80% of the gospel teachings there. Um, so learn how to fail well every year in the leaders' banquet at Blue Water Mission, which we haven't had for like three years because we haven't been able to gather. Um, we give an award for most spectacular failure of the year. It's very competitive, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you, have, you have to really screw up, right, for that trophy. And we've had some hilarious ones. Uh, number five, try sets priorities. By which I mean, what do you need to get done today above all else? And you, you need, like, one of your, one of your uh, ministry items needs to be on that list. Because if you don't set priorities, then you never get around to stuff. And there, there are books and books on setting priorities. I just would diagnose it by saying, do you know what your ministry priorities are this week? And if you don't immediately know, you won't get to them. You won't get to them. And related to that, try is routine, number six. Routines tell you how to start, and they tell you what to do next. It's the back planning that Erica mentioned. I have a routine for when I get up in the morning because I'm often tired. You know, I, I keep a cup by the sink, and so I get out of bed leery-eyed, and I stumble to the comp, and I, and, I, and I take a drink of water, which sounds like nothing. But I want to be three or four or five activities into my day before I make my first decision. And what routines do is they take the decision-making out of your acting, right? Because it's in the decision-making that chaos attacks, you know, and the vagueness and the delay and the distraction. But if you never pause to make the decision, but it's already pre-decided and you just move through it, right? So if you want to evangelize, set aside 30 minutes a day just to evangelize. And set those 30 minutes at a particular time slot during the day. You're going to start at 12 p.m. and you're going to finish at 12.30 p.m. Often having a finishing time is the key to a good routine because it teaches you to be efficient. Try as routine. So whatever you value in life, you have a routine for it. Otherwise, you don't actually value it. The rule of thumb, huge chunks of the Old Testament are about God giving his people basic routines. Why did he spend whole chunks of the Bible? I mean, there are entire books written on routines, rituals, routines. Why? Because he knew that was a key to maturity. And if they didn't have set times, right? Like he would set the times for their celebrations and their sacrifices and their gatherings and their worship and, 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 and their family activities. He would set times, you know, this phase of the moon and this, why? Because if you don't set it, you drift. Chaos gets you. Number seven, try figures it out. Uh, if you're thinking of something important and you find yourself saying, but I don't know how to do it, I'm not sure how to go about that, and that stops you, then chaos has you by the throat. Because try just kind of jumps in and, and figures stuff out. 
You know, you don't know until you get started. I actually talk about that a fair bit at Blue Water in different ways. You know, just I don't know, figure it out. Learn. Did you know how to produce movies? Is this your first movie? You tried many times, and now you got one that's winning awards. Nice. Yeah, I figured it out. I figure out what your last name is. <laughs> Just a few more. Number eight. Try goes through the motions. Try goes through the motions. I could say it a different way. 80% of anything is just showing up. You don't feel like it. Your heart's not in it. You don't have enough energy. Big deal. You show up and you go through the motions, right? Um, sometimes people criticize you by saying, oh, you're just going through the motions. Your heart's not really in it. You know, and I would just like to change your thinking on that. Be like, good, you're moving. <laughs> Right, which is the most important thing. And, and then usually you can get your, your attitude ratcheted up from there. Right? Any of you have exercise routines? Anybody? Do you feel like doing them every day? No, but you just go and you go through the motions. And you have a way of starting out. Maybe you warm up, maybe you stretch or something like that. We apply a lot of these principles to our exercise. Well, the fit people apply a lot of these <laughs> principles to their exercise regimes. And if you don't apply these principles, then you can just, just pat your love handles right now <laughs> and, uh, and consider the wisdom of what I'm preaching. <laughs> Try goes through uh, the motions. Uh, doing the right thing is always right. You know, and everything else starts from there. Motion first. Life is motion first. Motion first. And then feeling and learning and all of that stuff uh, comes later. Number nine, try starts on Thursdays. That needs no explanation, does it? Well, I mean, Friday would be a good time to start. Because if you start something on Friday, then you've got the whole weekend and your free weekend time to kind of figure it out. Or you could just start on Saturday, right? Because that's the real start of the weekend. Then you get a whole day. Uh, in front of you that is probably fairly flexible in your schedule, so you could get around to doing that important thing that you want to do. Of course, Sunday is the first day of the week, and it's a Sabbath day. Maybe you've cleared out the afternoon, so that would be a good time to do your most important thing. But, you know, the start of the work week is on Monday, and that's the day that we all start our new diets, right? So Monday is a pretty good day to start. Monday can be a little bit blue and a little bit lethargic, so maybe really Tuesday is, is the best start. Uh, to, for some sort of thing that you want to follow through on, some sort of new routine or something like that. Or you could choose Wednesday, which is hump day. Right? It's the middle of the week. It's right in the heart of it. You know, It's where everything transitions in your week, so that's a really good day to start something. You know what is never a good day to start something? Thursday. <laughs> there is no rationale to start on Thursday. So if you're a great trier, you're excellent at Thursday starts, which is to say, now is the right time. Whatever you're thinking about doing, the point is to follow through on it. You know what stupid habit I think of when I think of this? Sonia taught me this. She read it in an article or something. Never touch a piece of mail twice. So you go out to the mailbox and you get those letters. So I, I grab the letters and then I walk straight to the outside garbage can or recycling bin. And what I'm doing is I'm sorting as I go. And then like 90% of them I just kind of drop 
in the appropriate receptacle. And then I go inside, and if it's a bill or if something that needs attention, you open up the envelope and you handle it right then. Because if I set it on the counter, it will be approximately six months before I get back to it, right? Never touch it twice. You know, now is the right time. Now is the right time. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, right? So if you can't seize the opportunity today, you won't get around to it. And then finally, number 10, try makes progress. Do not despise the day of small beginnings is a scripture verse that a lot of you know. At the end of today, you should make progress on the thing that you believe you should do, that important thing that God has put on your mind. Your goal is to make progress every day. Try is obsessed with making progress. Try might not finish, but try always takes the next step. I tell myself when I've got a line of chores that I don't want to do or an activity that I've never really liked doing, I say, I will never hesitate to do the, thing, the next thing that brings progress. I will never hesitate to do the next thing that brings progress. Even if I'm not sure it will work, or even if it will take me to an uncomfortable interaction, I always do, I do not hesitate to do the next thing that brings progress. Do not despise the small steps, step by step, day by day. Uh, it's this great saying I learned in Cuba while I was doing some ministry there once. You can get to Rome by asking directions. Uh, just somebody tells you how to get here, you go there, and then you ask the next person, and then you ask the next person. But, but you don't need the whole map in your head. You just need to make progress. Oh, right, those are ten ways of try. What do you think? Snaps for trying? It's a weird sort of teaching today, but what I'm trying to do is just to be insanely practical because, well, I mean, that's it, isn't it? Right? It's the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Jesus said, if you hear what I say and you don't follow through on it, then you're like a foolish man who builds a house on the sand. And as soon as the storm comes, there's a great crash. If you hear what I say, and you put it into action, you follow through on it, then you're like a wise man who builds his house on a rock and come what way it will never fall. You just get progress, progress, and progress in life. You will build epically uh, in your life. The difference between wise and foolish is simply whether or not you follow through on the thing. Be careful how you live, Paul said to the Ephesians. Not as unwise, but as wise. I have it in my head that he was thinking of that parable. You know, the unwise person who knows everything, who has heard the call, who understands perfectly, but doesn't try. Fool. And then wise, who understands whatever he or she understands and tries whatever he or she has in front of them. Wise. So do you want to be a fool or do you want to be a wise person? Do you want to have a life of destruction or a life of monumental construction? And it all boils down to trying. And the thing is that great triers, which is to say great people of faith, because faith is trying, they know what they're about. This is the thing. This is the thing I want you to carry away. You know what it takes to try the thing. 
you know it. You know that you're going to need force. You know that you're going to have a little swagger attitude. You know that you're going to have to do it in the midst of all sorts of nonsense and pressures and distractions. You know that you don't have to do it perfectly, but you have to make progress today. Like, you know what you're about, and you have conditioned yourself. You have chiseled your spirit into functionality in this regard above all else. You are great triers. And then you'll be a kingdom person. You'll be a kingdom person. And, and, and then, I mean, you just, just need a little bit of trying, and you can move a mountain. So I hear. Right? A little bit of faith attitude that we share, maybe you're going to get over the hump today. Maybe you're going to follow through on the thing that the Lord put in your heart. Father God, I pray uh, for... Um, for faith, the faith that begets trying. That's all I want, just to try the thing that we're called to do, just to try the thing that we believe we should do, just to try the idea that we have, to make progress on it, to fail quickly and move on to the next one if necessary. But life is motion and faith is trying and we commit ourselves to it in Jesus' name. I'm just going to give the Holy Spirit 20 seconds to deal with you. All right, stand up, people. Let's pray to dismiss. Father God, I pray that you would perfect your agenda for each person before we leave. I pray, Lord, that we would leave with a better faith attitude than we had when we arrived. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would carry us forward in the week with momentum and motion. We commit ourselves to an interesting sort of life. In Jesus' name, everybody says...